You were created as a new creature in Christ. You were created for a purpose, a specific purpose. But it really boils down to a consecration where you get before God and you say, God, from now on, I am going to obey your will. I'm going to seek it out for everything in my life, and I am determined to obey your will and not just live my life the way I want to live it. If Jesus took over your body and lived his will perfectly through you, what would your life look like? One thing is for certain, sexual sin wouldn't be anywhere in the picture. His deep love for other people would make selfishness and lust an utter impossibility. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Purity for Life. God has clearly revealed that his will is mercy. But as fallen human beings, there's so much in us that opposes that will. That means we really need to surrender. That's what we'll talk about today on Purity for Life. If you were to sum up the Christian life into one sentence, I think you could say it this way. The Christian life is doing God's will. That's really the long and short of it. Doing God's will in your daily life. Doing God's will in your marriage. Doing God's will in your job. Doing God's will in your thought life. Doing God's will with your body, including your sexual organs. A few shows ago, we talked about coming to the place where we just hang our head and say, I am wrong. Not just my actions are wrong, my heart is wrong. I acknowledge that I am completely to blame for these filthy desires, these vile thoughts, these depraved deeds. I am guilty. Now, if you came to that place, what you were really acknowledging was, I have not been doing God's will, which is true, right? Is it God's will for you to be fantasizing about women or men? Is it God's will for you to sleep with a prostitute? Is it God's will for you to look at pornography? No way. So whose will is it? Whose will were you doing when you did those things? If you went right to the root of it all, you were doing the devil's will. And so repentance is really about coming to the place where we turn away from doing the will of Satan and where we turn to God and begin to learn to do his will. But here's the thing that so many Christians have not understood. Repentance is not supposed to be a one-time act. It's supposed to be a lifestyle. How often do we need to repent? Well, just as often as we realize that we've not been doing God's will. Let me put it to you this way. Imagine that your car needs an alignment and it constantly wants to steer you into the ditch. How often are you going to turn the wheel to correct it? Well, just as often as you need to so that you don't go into that ditch. You don't say, well, I turned the wheel once and that ought to do it. No way. It's the same way with the Christian walk. 
when you get serious about doing God's will, you're going to quickly realize how often you need to fight against the thing in you that says, do my own will. God's will is that you become a conduit for the love and the mercy of God to flow through so that other people receive what they need. His will is that you give your life away for the good of other people. That means your will and your life is not your own. So this is where surrender comes in because there's a lot in us that really doesn't want to live that life and we have to choose daily. Will we do our own will or will we do God's will? The first thing that we need to do, though, is we need to identify specific things that hinder us from living out God's will. Luke and Ken, thanks for coming in, because what we want to do in this interview is we want to help people identify certain things that are going to rise up within them to hinder them from living a life of mercy, because all of us know that our flesh is not just going to sit idly by while we decide, I'm going to do the will of God. There is going to be internal opposition to living out God's will. And so just full disclosure, I met with Luke and Ken a couple of weeks ago to identify four of the most common internal hindrances to living a life of mercy, and we're going to talk about how they see those hindrances manifesting in people's lives. Luke, the first thing that you mentioned was when a person is stuck in themselves. What did you mean by that, and why is that a hindrance? Yeah, I mean, getting caught up in yourself... (laughs) When we look at it that way, it emphasizes the problem. But initially, though, it, it might look like it's actually a good thing okay. because a guy's actually coming to our program and he is there to get his life in order. He's there to fix things. He's there to deal with his issues. He's there to kind of even be open to examining what's going on in his life. Sure. And it's like from the outside appearance, it actually is a good thing. And to a degree, it is. Yeah. It's about time, you know, in some of yeah, these cases yeah. that a guy actually did begin to really examine himself. It becomes a problem, though, when that's like the main focus of your life and actually then becomes the driving force of why you're here, why you're living, what my future will be. Okay. And then it just becomes a constant state of selfish, kind of self-centered thinking. Okay, right. I often will counsel guys that in their prayer time, dedicate maybe 10% of whatever block of time you're going to pray and dedicate about 10% of praying for yourself Okay, and asking the Lord to reveal these things in your heart and, and go through that. That's Because that is good. It is important. Sure. Uh, but the rest of the time needs to be spent praying for others. Okay. Right. So it's just kind of like uh, it's another manifestation of self-centered thinking. In the past, it was lust and everything that I can get from that. And now it's like, well, I got to take care of myself before I'm going to take care of anybody else, that kind of thing. What do you see, Ken? Well, yeah. And coming out of like a sexual sin background, especially in our culture, where people actually identify their very identities tied up in their behavior, Uh then it just seems like an overwhelming mountain even okay. though they've mm-hmm. repented, they've turned, and they're trying to seek the Lord, like you said, Nate, it doesn't suddenly mean all your problems are just going to disappear. Right. There's a process of growth and change, and they're so fixated on themselves that they can't even, it's not even under a radar to even consider meeting someone else's need. I've got this huge mountain that has to be overcome in my own life, uh-huh, and they can't uh-huh. see past that mountain. 
right. of their own perceived need. So Luke, you mentioned one practical way would be to limit the amount of time that you spend praying for yourself. Ken, what's maybe another practical thing that you tell people would be helpful for just getting out of that self-centered way of thinking? If they can learn to focus on other people mm-hmm. and try to get into the needs of others in practical ways, okay. instead of just being caught up in your own little routine and your own little life and uh-huh. all your problems, learn to recognize other people. Maybe get out of yourself and interact with people. Okay. Ask them how they're doing. You know, not just, hi, how you doing, but really engaging with people in life. Yeah. And maybe increasing not just spending time praying for them individually, but asking someone, hey, how you doing? Right. How can I pray for you? So I would encourage guys, we've even made, a, like, a, have a guide, like, for homework for the week, get a hold of 10 people, ask them how they're doing, and write down their prayer requests, and yeah. then get out of yourself and pray for them. Yeah, it's so good. It's, And I think people will find that these are real hindrances in the sense that it feels like a ton of work at the beginning. It's going against the grain, and they got to really fight. Yeah, which even in that emphasizes the fact that it's a root issue. <laughs> right. When I don't want to do something with like an adamant passion, like I really hate to do this. Oftentimes that's like, okay, I probably should be doing this. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, let's talk about another thing that you guys identified and you said fear. So how do you guys normally see fear hindering somebody from living the love of God out to other people? Well, that's an excellent question because almost always I've found that fear is associated with the loss of something. Mm. And it's not always a bad thing because even if you think about it, um, if you're on a hike— and a bear jumps out or you you know you discover a grizzly and he's angry and he's running after you fear kicks in uh-huh. and it's a good fear though you should be running from this or finding some way to defend yourself or whatever sure. but really what you're concerned about and that is a loss of life a loss of health a loss of safety mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you know so it's not always necessarily a bad thing when you look at it in that way but Fear then, when it becomes to just a loss of anything, then that could start to expand to other areas of my life. Like, so say I don't want to get involved in someone's financial needs because I'm going to be afraid that I'm going to not have money. Or I don't want to invest time in someone else's life because then I'm I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my free time. Or I don't want to do something risky because that actually might affect my health and negative. And then it becomes a a cycle of really self-protection. Yeah. Oftentimes when I'm dealing with a counselee and asking him, you know, when dealing with fear, I'll ask him, well, what are you afraid of losing? Okay. It really helps me get to the root of their okay. fear. And First John really talks about it. And it, in the context of First John, when he's talking about loving others, he even makes the bold statement of saying, you know, if you're not loving others, then you don't know God. And you have to be in this flow of loving others. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of like that exhortation is where he pulls out the statement of perfect love casts out fear. Mm. And okay, so if I really get into the flow of considering others as more important than myself, considering their needs above my own, then the fear of losing something on my end is replaced 
by the need or yeah. the love. Yeah. And it's that it's that perfect love of getting into other people's needs that then mm-hmm. casts out the fear because mm-hmm. the fear is just rooted in a selfish, self-protective kind of flow. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what John was saying there. And Jesus emphasizes it with greater love has no man than to lay down his life. Yeah. You know, so it's like, okay, all of this is getting into a flow of mercy that actually destroys fear. Yeah. But I like what you're saying too, because I think it it helps to be realistic when you're thinking about living this life of mercy that there is a cost. Yes. Yeah. There's no free mercy in that sense. God gave us mercy by sending his son Jesus to suffer for us and to pay. When we're going to live a life of mercy, that means there's going to be less time for me, less money for me, less fun for me. We just have to come to grips with that. Mm-hmm. And and I found it very helpful to just say, Lord, help me be willing to lose it. Just help me, please. You know, Show me reality so that I'm not so blind to hold on to things and lose lose what really matters. You know, that's really the reality. When we don't live a life of mercy, we're the ones who's losing. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's been helpful for me. What about you, Ken? What do you see as about fear? Yeah, and even what you said, the whole idea, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's important is when people are coming out of a lifestyle of sin, and selfishness is to realize, you know, we've been idolaters. Mm-hmm. My source of whatever you want to say, my my source of life, my source of fulfillment, joy, what I live for should be God. Right. And if he's your source, you're not concerned with people meeting your needs or maybe mm. people rejecting you. What if I reach out to this guy and he disses me and whatever? Right. It's not about that. It's about getting what mm-hmm. you need personally from the Lord And he is an inexhaustible resource. So you're just filled to overflowing. And the natural byproduct is wanting to share that love and mercy Mm -hmm. of God that he's given you with other people. Mm. And it totally takes you out of yourself to be caught up with God and then to be focused upon other people. Mm -hmm. And you actually find your life in losing it and doing mercy. That is so true. Yeah, and that's a really even a good point that you said. It's like um, focusing on my image of how how people perceive me. That fear of man, you can't be loving something that you're afraid of, you know? Mm. So when I'm in that fear of man of what do people think? What will people, you know, how will they judge me? How will I be perceived? Like, even when you think of the fear of uh, public speaking, Mm -hmm. it's like, well, what if I just mess up and just a lot of people are going to like laugh at me, you know? It's like, what if you knew that I need to get this message across to these people because that's the most important thing. Their need of salvation is what's more important than me looking bad. Yeah. That's that root of fear there. Yeah. Let's talk also about something that you guys mentioned. You said guys struggle to live a merciful life because they don't feel merciful. How often mm. do you see that happening? I think it happens a lot to people when they're first getting into it uh-huh. because when you've just been totally out of it and selfish, I mean, living a life of mercy is not even on your radar. For sure. And 
you know, and then also you're coming out of a lifestyle where you're constantly feeding your flesh yeah. and trying to live from like a pleasure mentality. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the pleasure is I'm getting something for self. Yeah. And now all of a sudden I'm going to give something to someone else. It's like, <laughs> I don't feel like it. it yeah. Like Luke said, the root issues, is it totally cuts across the grain yeah. of my very existence, what yeah. I've been in. And they think, well, maybe they think I'll be a hypocrite now if I don't really feel the love of God and do it. Uh-huh. But it's interesting, uh, Rex Andrews had said one time that the purpose of loving someone is not to feel these warm, loving feelings, it's that they feel loved, yeah. Yeah, that right. their needs are met. Right. You mm-hmm. know, and the reality is if we wait till we feel like it, we'll never start anything new. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as we do the mercy, as we get out of ourselves, God will begin to change our hearts and mm-hmm. his love will actually be flowing through us to meet the needs of others. And we will begin to be in that, like you said, that passion to meet the needs of others. But it starts in doing. We want to be perfect and then start. Yeah, God wants (laughs) us to start where we're at and he'll perfect us in the process of Uh doing his word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've found just in my life with that is feelings are not always like sin. (laughs) And I had to really wrestle with that a lot of times. Just because I feel something doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. Like I should have a life of no feelings and, you know, Mm. feelings are bad and don't ever listen or trust feelings are evil. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily true. Feelings can be good. Sure. (laughs) But making life decisions based solely off my feelings, that's where we run into problems. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. I've I heard someone say one time, well— I read the Bible when I feel like reading the Bible, and I pray when I really feel like praying, and I just kind of let—I don't know exactly what she meant. It's kind of just, you know, like, I'll do it when I feel like it, because then I know it's real. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one thing I've heard uh, Pastor Steve say in the past is that not having a desire to eat, for instance, like physical food is a sign of disease, Mm -hmm. you know? And so sometimes when we don't have that desire and we just go along with that, it's a sign of real sickness and we need to just push against that um, and obey the Lord. He's given us commands. This isn't an option. This is like, do this thing. And when we realize then that our flesh and the world and the devil are a hindrance, then we just say, feelings or not, this is the way to live. Um, the last thing that you guys mentioned was legalism. Mm. That one, I, I, I could kind of understand the first three just at face value. The legalism one, though, I want some more explanation from you guys about how that keeps someone from living the mercy life. I would say this just to start off with is if a guy's in a legalistic mentality, he doesn't see the mercy of God right for himself. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. You know, the Bible says we love because he first loved us. Uh-huh. You have to know that God loves you as a starting point because he's a uh-huh. source of all true love. Sure. And the problem is if you're not seeing God right and you're in this works mentality and wondering if you ever measured up, you tend to see other people the same way. Okay. You tend That's to right. grade yep. their performance. Yeah. And instead of being in a heart of mercy and wanting to meet their needs, you're going to be critical and judgmental. Yeah. And it's going to cut off that flow of mercy. It's like, well, who's this guy? You know, it's like, sure. he's not measuring up to my standard. I'm yeah, going to just write him off. Yeah, or he doesn't deserve me to do good he, things to him. He don't deserve it. I don't right. deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That makes sense. In my own life, when I battle with the legalism, I just think back of like some of our classic examples of legalism is the Pharisees in the New Testament. And I think 
a lot of what was emphasized in their life, and I can see this is true for me, it's convicting for myself, is uh, outward appearance is what's really driving my legalism. I want to look good uh -huh. for others. I want to be respected by others. That's okay. why I'm following the law to do it yeah. right, so yeah. that I could be the good Christian who does everything he's supposed to do. Uh -huh. But it's really kind of self-righteous. Uh -huh. It's really just actually so that I look good. Is it where it's like Jesus said, well, if you want to be a true disciple, like the sign of a true disciple is actually the love that you show for others. Uh -huh. John 13, 35, it's by this all men will know yeah. <laughs> that you love others. And Paul would even say, I think it's in Galatians 5, where he says, you know, that what sums up the entire law and prophets mm -hmm. is love others. So it's like, okay, if the purpose of the entire law, of all of the rules and regulations of God, if the purpose of that is to show love for others, then that needs to be my primary focus in life is to love others and figure out almost – for me, it helps me to say, okay, listen, if my motivation is to love this person, I have to figure out how to do that within the, the law of God. you know. Mm -hmm. But my motivation is to love. Mm -hmm. And it, it changes – it breaks down like my motivation to follow the law, look right, and do everything correctly, and then in that I'll be showing love. Well, no. Switch. Mm. I need to switch mm. my motivation mm. to no. The focus of this is to love others, and let's find the law that applies. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I think that's a little bit more of the heart behind that. Yeah, it? and I think that people who have struggled with that would realize that when you really are in the mindset of I've got to make sure that every single aspect of my life is right. Mm -hmm. You've got no time or energy no. to to love anybody else anyway. Yeah. You know, it's just like endless how much you're going to have to do to mm -hmm. to make yourself right. Yeah, and that's where I think when Paul talks about it in Galatians as well, it's just the freedom of walking by the Spirit, where it's not a whole life where I'm waking up in the morning and wondering, okay, where's my checklist of everything that I have to do that God's commanded and all of his rules and regulations for the day. And if I really follow all of those things by the end of the day, then I will be a loving, good Christian. Mm -hmm. It's just like, okay, man, that's a lot of stress. Mm -hmm, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like, there's a, there's a way to live in freedom here. And it's not opposed to the law of God. <laughs> like Correct. The, it yeah, is yeah, the yeah. heart of God. Yeah. That, uh, you know, so there's a freedom in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think I would want to just encourage people also that all of these things, if you have truly repented, it doesn't mean that these hindrances are just gone. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you've sown for yourself a life of self-centeredness, fear, living by your feelings or legalism. And now you're, you know, you've really got to that repentance, it's okay to, to realize that you're struggling against those things in order sure. to obey the Lord and not being discouraged by, well, I still feel this or I still feel that or I still have fear or I still, you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah you can't get stuck in, in judging your success by you because <laughs> then mm -hmm. it's all goes – it's like full circle. It gets back to self. Focusing yeah. on self, and then we're back at square one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thank you guys very much. I think this will be very helpful um, just to let people know that living the life of mercy is going to be a battle and that mm -hmm. it's a battle worth fighting. So thanks for coming in. Yeah, no thank you. Thank you.
If you've ever attempted to walk in love toward other people, you find out pretty quickly that this isn't something that you possess in yourself. If we're going to give the love of God away to other people, we need to learn how to receive it first. I asked Jordan Yoshimine to come into the studio and talk with me about his experience of God's mercy and how it has made him a conduit of that mercy toward others. So Pure Life has an annual conference every year, and this was the first year at the Answer Center, and I was uh, tagged to do the emceeing for the event. Um, for me, logistical things were top of mind. Keeping the schedule on time, I knew there were certain things that had to happen after that first session, lunch, et cetera, et cetera, getting people out, keeping Pastor Steve on schedule, keeping the worship on schedule. In my mind, emceeing was more about being a kind of a timekeeper and, and maybe keeping things light, having a little bit of fun with the audience and not so much about the presence of the Lord. And so the conference started. I introduced the whole conference, introduced Pastor Steve. And then at the end, I was looking at my watch saying, oh, we need to get people moving for lunch. And that was what was in my mind, not what Pastor Steve had just preached, which was a very convicting uh, message that certainly and demanded some sort of response and contemplation or seeking the Lord, and I just glossed right over that. So immediately after that session, Pastor Steve came over and gave me probably what was the strongest rebuke I've ever had in my life. He said I was in the flesh. Um, he said you were not thinking about others, that you were no consideration for what was even being said during the plenary session. I mean, just point after point, very clear about where I was off. And um, certainly was startled by that. Uh, and I had to really retreat to a different area of the conference center and just really uh, ponder what uh, Pastor Steve had said. The amazing thing that came in during that time was I just saw the tremendous love of God, not just for myself, and I'll talk about that in a second, but for his people. There were over 600, almost 700 people at that event, and he had his purposes, his will that he wanted to accomplish for those people, so many people in need, so many people who needed truth, so many people who wanted to go deeper in the relationship with the Lord, and the Lord wasn't going to allow anything to hinder that, and I was a hindrance. Pastor Steve was walking in the Spirit during that session and saw exactly in the spiritual realm uh, the Spirit that I was in, and the Lord used Pastor Steve to show me how I was an obstacle for people to really experience the mercy and the love of God. So I prayed, I repented, I repented to Pastor Steve, I repented to the Lord, and uh, my focus completely shifted for the remaining sessions. And months later, I just had a guy two weeks ago come up to me that was at the conference and said, man, 
the way you emceed just helped us enter into the presence of the Lord. God's love and mercy for his people. He had his purposes that he wanted to fulfill, and he came in and used a rebuke and changed my the direction, whole direction of how I looked at emceeing. So the presence of the Lord, his mercy, his love could be on display. And through that rebuke, through seeing his love for people, man, I just saw how much the Lord loves me, that he was not willing to leave me where I was in the flesh. I will say that seeing him and his love for his people and his purposes for his people and orchestrating things so that is accomplished is just a great testimony to me of his love and mercy. And it's changed so many different things in my life as a result. So Jordan, the reason why I wanted you to do that testimony that everybody just heard is because I believe that when you experience something about God for yourself, it really changes things. Suddenly, something that was just a concept is now a reality. Mm -hmm. How did that experience really change you going forward? I really know now that I can experience God's love through discipline. I mean, when I was in the residential program and then there were aspects of that discipline, but not in the way that I experienced it at the conference through Mm. the rebuke. I know that God loves me through rebuke. I know Mm. that God loves me through correction Mm. or through instruction. And that's even when that comes, even like I was talking about in the testimony, even when I was hearing it. I didn't feel the rebuke as much as I felt God's love. And I don't know how mm, you can explain wow. that. Sure. But I was I was so grateful. Mm-hmm. You know, number one for Pastor Steve, who's has such a walk with the Lord that he can hear and he can sense when a person is in the flesh. Mm-hmm. But again, like I was saying before, that the Lord loves me that much that this process of sanctification, he's willing to take out when I'm not paying attention, you know, mm-hmm, uh, the mm-hmm. rebuke or the correction or the instruction uh, because he loves me and right. he doesn't want me to stay where I'm at. Right. He really wants me to move forward, sanctification, mm-hmm. move forward in my relationship with him and, yeah. and to receive that in all its forms. We're so used to, oh, God's such a loving God, a kind God, right. uh, you know, all where of it's that. all about so, telling you how wonderful what, right, you are. Right, right, and, and all of that. But it's just like there is just as much love in discipline, I've mm. experienced through this situation, I think more love and more mercy of God in that because he's not willing to let me stay where I'm at mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. That's amazing. That's an amazing God who w- cares for us that much that he's intimately involved in our day-to-day lives and yeah. what happens. Yeah, and I, I'm i really glad that you went this way with the questions that I posed to you because— where we are in the series is helping people to acknowledge that there are just things in us that are wrong and that have to be overcome. So now God comes and begins to point things out and will continue to point things out. Right. This isn't an expression of his disapproval. It's not an expression of him like, I can't believe that you're like this. This is an expression of his love. Yep. So let me take this in a totally different direction. 
sometimes when we counsel people, we realize that this person knows the right answer because they've probably grown up in church, but they haven't really experienced the reality of it yet. And if you're talking to somebody about something like that, like you need to experience the mercy of God for yourself, what do you counsel them to do? (laughs) Yeah, that happens Quite often. Regularly. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, it's it, it may seem to the listeners um, kind of maybe even a trite statement, mm-hmm. but it, it, I can't deny the truth of Matthew 7 through 11. Mm-hmm. Ask, seek, knock, right? It is just that, um, okay, I Lord, I'm not experiencing the reality of this life what you're saying, what you're trying to show me, Mm -hmm. uh, the love and the mercy, Lord, help me, Mm -hmm. Lord, show me, Mm -hmm. Lord, the Lord is not going to give you a snake or a serpent, right? He's he's just not going to do that. He's going to give you good gifts or good things. I would say, um, I like good things, that translation a little bit better because good gifts, you think you're going to get something good. Yeah. Car, house, new job. (laughs) But a good thing could come in the form of a rebuke mm. or a correction mm-hmm. or instruction you know mm-hmm. it's all it's not always going to conjure up or make you feel good or feel happy in the moment in the moment right, right? it's just like that's where i think the mistake comes in is that people are wanting a feeling and i'm just saying ask and seek mm. and knock for reality oh that's good right the reality of mercy and love yeah. whatever form that comes in yeah and so you have to as a counselor prepare him for that like okay you're asking for a reality of god's love and mercy his mercy may seem cruel right right his mercy may seem like you know, like he's oppressing you, but that's right. not what's happening. He's standing against your flesh. Right. That's a mercy. Yeah. Right. So when you're asking and seeking, knocking, you have very clear expectations of a realistic expectation of how that's going to come out. Yeah. And so the yeah. rebuke, right? Yeah. In my case. Yeah. In the uh, previous interview, we we're talking with Ken and Luke about internal hindrances. And when you were talking about God giving us the reality, it just, um, something else popped into my mind. How many times people will say, okay, I'm going to start to live out the life of mercy, and then they start to realize how unmerciful they are. Right. <laughs> and this seems like a setback, or it seems like, wait a second, so this is what I get for trying? Now all I see is my lack? But that is not... A bad thing. Mm -mm. That is a good thing. Yeah, because what it really does when you see your lack is then it's like, well, then how do I become a doer of mercy or a vessel of mercy? And the only answer is Jesus. Yeah, amen. Right? It just goes back to him. It's like, I need to cry out, ask, knock, Lord, look it. You see my condition. Right. You see how unmerciful I am. Lord, I need you. Yeah. Come in and show, you know, help me. Help yeah. me be merciful. Help me be that vessel of mercy and love to others. Yeah, it's totally about um, allowing the Lord to come in and do the work he is mm-hmm. and expressing that need for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of that, my experience, I don't know if it's the same with you, but my experience of the Christian life is that it's not 
dramatic experience after dramatic experience after dramatic experience. Usually it would be something like, I'll have this, what I would call a pretty powerful experience, and then it could be months, it could be years of just your mundane kind of day-in, day-out Christianity, and then another experience. So we need those experiences But what we also really need is just this constant sight of God's mercy in our daily life. How do you most often see God's mercy? Well, I'm going to have to read this because (laughs) otherwise I'll just start crying. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I might start yeah, crying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Powerful just, point. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, when I was preparing for this, it was just kind of what came to mind. And I think that's why I was shaking my head. I said, mm. it doesn't have to be mundane. Your mm. life doesn't have to be piecemeal together from experience to experience. And then mm. it, everything is mundane. You can have a vibrant active, living relationship that is full of mercy? And the answer is, bum, bum, bum. (laughs) I I just wrote this down. I said, if I live each day, each moment with a cross ever before me, I can't escape the knowledge of his mercy. Hmm. His cross is mercy. Living in the shadow of Calvary is a way to see God's mercy, not just in trials or experiences, but a way to live in his mercy that is mm. expressed with a heart full of gratitude. It's just like, man, you can, you don't have to have these emotional experiences or have these encounters. It can be a daily mm. existence mm. to live in God's mercy, to see and experience it, but it's looking at the cross. Mm-hmm. And seeing God's mercy in the cross every day, living in the shadow of the cross. And when you see God's mercy in the cross, when you see just how much he did through the cross, then it's just like gratitude. And then it's just like, man, I'm living in daily gratitude and my life is uh, bubbling over. Like I think I said, in, I think the testimony video that's on the DVD curriculum, it's like, yeah, it's it's that Romans 12 on one and two life. Yeah, I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. That's my spiritual act of worship. That's gratitude bubbling over because I see, I live in that daily acknowledgement, the daily sight of God's mercy through the cross. So it's like, man, we tell men over and over in the program, keep your eyes on the cross, keep your eyes on Jesus, keep your eyes on him. And when you see him, you have to ask and knock and seek to, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. for that to ha- be mm-hmm. a reality. But when you see him and see the cross, man, it is just like you can live daily in that reality. And it's more than a feeling. It's a joy. It's a gratitude. It's a confidence. It's a faith. Yeah. Yeah. That goes beyond expression, really. So for you, when you see the cross, that is really what motivates you to say, I'm going to live out the mercy of Absolutely. God. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because this is gratitude. It's like for what the Lord did for me and the greatest mercy that was involved in that, then it's just a natural expression of my gratitude to live my life pleasing to him, to offer my body as a living sacrifice. It's just my natural response. Well, I choose that, but it is my response, my personal response to him. And it can be anybody's response, really, to that. At this point, you may be thinking, What does consecration and surrender even mean? 
what does it look like for me in 21st century America? I thought that our founder, Steve Gallagher, would really help us to understand this subject. Let's hear what Pastor Steve has to say about surrender and consecration. All right, so Pastor Steve, throughout this whole series, we've been trying to explain to others that victory comes when we do God's will, which is mercy, when we allow his love to dwell in our hearts and then to go outward toward other people. And at this point, we've done a lot of explaining, a lot of teaching, a lot of showing, and now it's really time to just call people to make a decision, that they consecrate their will to God. Can you explain a little bit about what it means to consecrate your life to God? Well, it just really boils down to exchanging my will for God's will. And that's in the simplest terms, that's what it means. But in the daily life, how does that play itself out? You know, um, well, I can't really think of a lot offhand, but TV shows or let's say you're into golfing and that's what you do every weekend. Well, I've got to take that to the Lord. Mm. You know, are you okay with this, Lord? Mm -hmm. And I have to earnestly take it to him. I can't just be a flip, you know, five-cent prayer. It needs to be something as a matter ongoing, Mm -hmm. you know. And he will lead you, you know, usually through your sense of feeling. He will either make you feel like, eh, just— just don't feel right about it mm-hmm. anymore, you know, or he'll give you a green light and you'll just really go out and really enjoy yourself and you know that you're in pleasing God in the midst of it. So it kind of works itself out that way, hmm. but it really boils down to a consecration where you get before God in a very determined, intentional way and you say, God, from now on, I am going to obey your will. I'm going to seek it out for everything in my life, and I am determined to obey your will Mm -hmm. and not just live my life the way I want to live it. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that you said in one of your books, you said, until we come to the place of consecration where we abandon our wills and rights to God, we'll never really know what it means to be full of the Spirit. Why did you say that? Well, you can't be full of the Spirit and also be king of your own life. It doesn't work that way, uh-huh. although <laughs> I'm, I'm going to beat up on Pentecostals here for a minute. Okay. I am one, <laughs> uh, but there's, I don't know, millions, thousands, whatever, of Pentecostals out there who speak in tongues and think they're full of the Spirit, and yet Monday through Saturday, they are totally in self-will, and mm. it's a delusion. Mm. They're not full of the Spirit just because they speak in tongues. Mm-hmm. They are full of the Spirit when God is living out the life of Christ through their lives, and when the fruit of the Spirit is being exhibited and manifested in their daily life. That's what it means to be full of the Spirit. You can go out and do a few nice things for people, but that's not the same as Jesus Christ living his life of love and mercy towards others through you. Mm -hmm. And when you feel that it's him doing it, it is such a tremendous thing. Hmm. Okay, so let's talk about somebody who has really, truly repented of sexual sin. We, we talked about this process of repentance in the last couple of episodes, and they really inside have said, you know what, 
that's right, I am wrong, I am calling this wrong, I've experienced that brokenness, and now they're saying, you know what, I want to do this, I want to consecrate my life to God. I want to live out the love of God toward other people. You already touched on this a little bit, but is there anything else you would want to say? Could you expand on that? It's been my experience that by and large, most American Christians think of the Christian life like, I got saved, now I go to church, and I'm one day going to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty simple like that. Mm-hmm. But when you get into what Scripture says, it's a little different, Mm -hmm. you know. For instance, we love this verse, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And you hear that all the time, over and over, in sermons, books, radio shows. That's the focus. I mean, that may be one of the most quoted verses in Scripture. Mm -hmm. But it goes on from there, and it says, For we are his workmanship, Mm. created in Christ Jesus for a reason, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Mm -hmm. You're not saved just so you can feel like you have the assurance of, I'm going to go to heaven one day. You know, I'm not even sure if someone is saved that thinks that way, Mm. actually. Mm. But God is saving you into a life. Right. It's a life that is walking away from self-will, from sin, and it's a life that's walking into something to where God is going to use you. Now, you know, he's saying you were created as a new creature in Mm -hmm. Christ. You were created for a purpose, a specific purpose. And it kind of reminds me also in Romans 10, here's another verse that we hear all the time, verse 9, um, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Mm -hmm. You hear that all the time, but you don't hear what verse 10 says, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. Mm. So, you know, you don't have one without the other. You don't have justification without sanctification. You don't have um, salvation without a life of good works that follows. Mm -hmm. And so I believe very strongly that every single true believer has a specific call on his or her life. Here is the area of mercy Mm. Uh, and of need that I want you to kind of focus on in life. Mm. And the Lord will open doors up if you will seek him with all your heart to find out exactly what his will is. He's got a plan, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not the cheap (laughs) kind of version you hear, God's got a plan for your life. (laughs) He does have a plan for your life, but it entails a life of sacrifice and giving yourself right. away to the needs of others. Yeah, that really, I think, tests our consecration and our devotion, right? Because how many people want to get rid of sexual sin? Because it's like a scourge on their life. It's just horrible. All the consequences, yeah. the pain, the misery, who wouldn't want to give that up at some point? But then to turn around and say, and what God really wants is your whole life, there's a lot of people that they just don't really want to do that. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, 
I do think that there are probably some people listening who really want to surrender to Christ, but they're scared to say the words. You know, they're, they're afraid of what surrender will really look like, or they're aware of their own weaknesses. Like, look at my track record. Look how many promises I've made to God and not kept. Um, so if a person has followed us all the way through this series and they're asking themselves, well, how can I know that I'll live this decision out? What would you say to a person like that? Well, first of all, what I would say is, I mean, it's very common and typical and normal for someone who has been addicted to sin to uh, question whether anything's going to really be different going forward. Yeah. You know, so there has to be some kind of a breakthrough spiritually inside the person or they're, you know, they don't have anything to rest yeah. that on. Right. But if there has been a breakthrough— then they have every reason to believe because of what Scripture says that things are going to now be very different. Mm. You know, with God living in you, that's a whole new ball yeah, game right. than trying to white-knuckle it through temptations. Now you've got the Holy Spirit living in you who's going to help you to say no. And yeah, it's a process of growing into freedom and a victorious life. It is, you know, you, you have your failures for a while. But you come into a full life in the Lord. Um, as far as the fear of surrender to the Lord, you know, what is there to be afraid of? Afraid of a life of joy instead of a, the misery of a self-focused life? Afraid of a life of freedom instead of bondage? Mm -hmm. Afraid of a life of peace instead of the constant anxiety associated with self-will? Mm. Afraid of a life of fulfillment instead of meaninglessness? Mm. Afraid of people's gratitude? Mm. Afraid of hearing one day, well done, my good and faithful servant? What is there to be afraid of? You know, I've lived this life... Um, I would say that I made a real consecration in probably 1985, I guess. So, you know, I've got a few years under my belt now at this point, and I can tell you, Nate, I have never, never, never regretted throwing myself in complete abandonment into God's hands and saying, Lord, do with me what you will. You know, it doesn't mean that I haven't had times of suffering and yeah, I've had a lot of opposition raising this ministry up and persecution even in some ways. But it just how do, how do I compare that to the life I would have had, you know? There is no comparison. I've had a fulfilling, meaningful, tremendous life. And not because of pure life. I'm just—and forget pure life. Just what I've had between the Lord and me, you know? So there, all I can say is there is nothing to be afraid of. If if you're getting that sense inside you, it's the enemy mm -hmm. who's planting those thoughts and building mm -hmm, on those mm -hmm. thoughts and creating all these negative scenarios mm -hmm. in your mind. Mm -hmm. But that does not come from the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I say jump off the cliff and throw yourself into God's hands and watch what he will mm -hmm. do. Yeah, amen. And, you know, I, I take a lot of comfort from the disciples because they really did try to follow him and had— in very marked instances, failure. But Jesus still said to them, fear not, little flock. It's my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then he gave them the Holy Spirit to empower them to live that life. So we're not on our own in this surrender. 
Yeah. Well, and that's when the change happened at Pentecost. You know, every, they were just <laughs> always <laughs> questioning everything, arguing, you know, trying to be first. I mean, just doing everything wrong. But after Pentecost, it was a game changer. And it's the same for us. I was born into a Christian family and raised by two loving, godly parents who taught me about Jesus and about the Bible, also regularly attending church. I was exposed to internet pornography at the age of 14 and I was hooked, which soon followed with self-gratification. At the age of 16, I made a confession of faith and was baptized, hoping that would cure me of my sexual sin. The next four years of my life was a downward spiral. During those years, I was confronted over and over about my sexual sin each time acting sorry and then trying to white-knuckle my way through, trying to overcome it myself, but always failing. In 2019 is when Pure Life Ministries came onto the radar. I enrolled in the OCA program. Even after 12 weeks of solid truth being poured into me, I was still hardening my heart and still wanting my sin. During the next year, the Lord allowed me to go even further into my sin, falling even deeper into darkness, at the same time acting godly on the outside but inwardly full of dead man's bones, completely given over to my sin. Afraid of punishment, I put up walls and barriers. But God, who is so rich in mercy, allowed me to get exposed to who I really was to my family, my church. I arrived at Pure Life Ministries September 11, 2020, full of myself. I'd come to Pure Life because I thought I was this good guy with a small sin problem, but God soon began to show me that he didn't bring me here just because of my sexual sin, he brought me here to completely change my heart. He wanted a relationship with me. Through the chapel services, my homework, my counseling sessions, the Lord showed me my sin and how much he hates it. He showed me that I did not know him. Through my job at AIC, the Lord showed me my perfectionism and my critical and judgmental spirit towards others. The Lord began to change my heart. Instead of judging them, I can pray for them and do acts of mercy to them. During my time here, the Lord showed me that I don't have to have everything figured out. He showed me that He is trustworthy and I can just believe and put my faith in Him. Around month seven, I began to grow weary of trying to understand everything and do everything that was talked about. As I began to cry out to the Lord in my weakness, He began to make me strong. As I began to surrender and put my trust in Him, there were times of refreshing from the Lord. I began to taste and see that the Lord is good. The Lord has given me a new heart, a heart that cares for others. He began to open my eyes to see the needs of others and praying for others' needs before my own. I'm not going out of this place a perfect man, but the Lord has given me a new heart so that when I do fail, I can repent and turn back to Him. Thank you, Jesus, my Redeemer, my Savior, and my friend, the one who has brought me out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and put a new song in my heart, a song of praise to our God. Well, I know that we've given you a lot to think about today. Let me ask you, what would it take for you to begin living out the will of God in a real way? Do you know? Have you ever sought hard after God to discern what his plan is for your life? Let me ask you some more questions. Have you ever yielded everything to God? Does all of your time belong to Him? All of your money? 
What about your mind and your abilities? Are they yielded to God? These are really weighty issues, and I'll encourage you the way we encourage our students when we talk about things like this. Why don't you pick a time over the next few days and get alone with God for a couple of hours? Really seek after him and ask him to continue to break you of your self-will and to reveal what it would look like for you to really surrender to him. Ask him to help you to do it and then to do his will with all your heart. Remember, this is the heart of Christianity, doing God's will. Next week, we're going to talk about practical ways that you can work out that surrender in your daily life. But that's it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us on Purity for Life. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.